Hello and welcome to Labor Pains Podcast. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. I am so glad that you are here. If you are here for the very first time, welcome. I am so glad that you have found me. Um, And if you have been here before with me, welcome back to our community. This is a place where I strive to help women and men that are experiencing struggles with infertility, loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy, and we also, I want to help you with the heavy grief that are associated with those. I create space here for stories to be shared and connections to happen. Your happiness is very important to me, and it is also important to me that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do me a couple things. I would love for you to first connect with me on social media, both on Instagram and Facebook. I am at Living After Grief and also at Women Connect and Support. We share different information and resources on both of those platforms, so connect on both. Again, Living After Grief, and the other one is Women Connect and Support, both Instagram and Facebook. And then next, I would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on the podcast. You can do one of two things, um, different things to get in contact with me. You can message me on Instagram or Facebook, We'll definitely see it there. Or you can go to my website at livingaftergrief.com and click on the link to schedule a time to talk. I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear feedback and suggestions that you may have for the podcast. And I would love to allow you to share your story. And if you have had a loss, I would love to hear about your baby. Hey, I would like to share with you really quick before we get into the episode for today that as a grief coach, I work with clients that are experiencing struggles with infertility, early or late miscarriages, stillbirths, or infant loss. After such profound loss, a woman desires to feel whole again for her family, friends, and most of all, for herself. To experience grief in a healthy way, One has to learn how to navigate through it. It takes time to learn how to live in the new normal. A coach like myself can help you in ways loved ones may not be able to. I am here to walk alongside you to find the hope, laughter, and joy in your life again without the blame and the guilt. I have a better understanding of grief and the necessary mixture of human emotions that come with it and push through to engage in life again so you can so I can help you navigate through those triggers that are keeping you locked inside physically and emotionally life can and will be good again so if you would like to set up a time with me i would love to talk to you just click the link on my website at www.livingaftergrief.com to schedule a time to talk over the phone. And I look forward to hearing from you soon.
Hi, Roxy. Welcome back to Labor Pains Podcast. I'm so excited um, to hear where you are in your journey and for the listeners to, to hear where you are in your journey. And I know you're going to share lots of just great information for them because you have been on this journey for quite a while. So, but welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. Sure, sure. Um, just for the listeners, um, Roxy was on the podcast on episode 28, and that's been a while ago. I think we were kind of talking. It's been probably a year and a half ago or a little over a year ago for sure. Um, so if you want to hear that episode, which will be a good episode to go back to listen to so you can hear more about Roxy's beginning of her journey. And the she's still the first half, the first two-thirds maybe, I don't know. We, we determined that you've been on this journey for a very, very long time. So, again, that's episode 28 is the episode that she was previously on. So if you can, same as you did before, if you can share with the audience, who is Roxy? Who is Roxy? Well, I am a wife. I am um, an angel mama and an IVF mama. We have um, multiple angels in heaven who are watching over our daughter here on earth. Um, Mm -hmm. She is a six-year-old and in kindergarten, which is crazy to think about. Wow. Um, I know. So along with my husband and her, I also teach as a full-time job. And on top of that, my second technically full-time job is painting embryos. Mm -hmm. I'm also an artist. (laughs) You are an artist. And that I know from following you on social media and everything has appears to have just exploded. It's blown up more than I ever thought it could. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's become a second full time job and it's it's insane. Yeah. Well and I know um well share with them a little bit about that so that if they're if they didn't hear on the first episode or this is their first time listening to any part of your story, share real quickly before we get into um talking more about your infertility journey, um, what this second job is all about. Perfect. So the second job is called Dear Coco Design. Um, I paint people's embryos and people's ultrasounds, um, those that have gone through IVF, those who are fertile friends, as I like to call them, if they don't have that embryo photo Um, So I sell my artwork on Etsy. It is by commission. Um, I open orders on the first of every month. And then throughout the month, I get all of the paintings done and out. And then the following month, open up on the first for orders again. So mm. you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Dear Coco Design. So it opens the first of the month. And how long do you till you till you hit your max? Is that or is there a time frame? Did you say uh, that it's so open? I usually open. Um, I usually open about 25 to 30 orders per month. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, this past month, I sold out in 30 minutes <laughs> on the first mm-hmm. day of opening. Wow. So there so, is no time limit. It's a number. It's that, a number, yeah. Okay. What I feel like I can handle that month. So during the summer months when I'm not teaching, obviously I can handle a little bit more. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, June, July, I might have a handful more orders added to that or openings added up to that. Um, but if you're one of the first, your order may get out in a week. If you are towards the end of the line, it could take, you know, till the end of the month for me to ship it. But I will guarantee shipping um, within that same month that you order. Wow. Wow. You need a you need a second artist or a third or a fourth. I do. I need something. I don't know what. <laughs> wow. Wow. I love it. I love that you do that. And as we share your story, you can share how that all kind of came to be. But let's talk a little bit. I want you to just briefly um, share share your story. I know we just talked a few minutes before we started recording of how many years um, you've been really on this journey and the years before your daughter and, and now the years after. That kind of summarize all of that and work. And, you know, talk about those angels as, as you talk to Okay, so um, to get our daughter, I say to get her, <laughs> to make her mm-hmm. sick, um, mm-hmm. she took five years of infertility, whether it was medicated cycles, IUIs, IVF. Um, we went through three fresh retrievals and transfers with her. Um, nothing ever frozen. There was a twin miscarriage in there as well right before um, she stopped. And then I just lived in sheer terror during her cycle that it was all going to happen again, but she made it earthside and she's perfectly healthy then. Mm. So that was a long bumpy ride. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We were so grateful to have um, the Illinois infertility mandate where some of IVF was covered. Um, I taught at a Catholic school, so nothing was covered whatsoever. My husband, however, taught at a company that offered the mandate. Um, So we had a certain number of tries and, you know, a certain percentage we had to pay, but definitely not um, full price for IVF. So we are very blessed in that sense to have, you know, continued. Um, He eventually switched jobs right Mm -hmm. when we were about ready to go through IVF again. And his new job was in Missouri. So we lost all of our infertility coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, So we kind of had a lapse there. And, you know, I guess we just moved on to trying naturally at home, even though we knew I was anovulatory from PCOS. Um, We didn't really expect anything to happen, but we weren't trying to stop anything. Um, Nothing obviously happened. (laughs) Yeah. For the next five well, maybe about four years. Um, I eventually switched schools that I taught at, um, moved to a public school in Illinois, and public schools, for the most part, um, cover IVF in some way, shape, or form. Ours is uh, meet your out-of-pocket max, and the rest, for the most part, is covered. So we are in an extremely fortunate position that we have been trying back-to-back cycles, basically nonstop since Mm -hmm. October of 2019. Wow. And what have I gone through since then? I don't even know where to start. So so maybe summarize, too. um, So I know you said PCOS, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, What other um, 
factors were there, diagnosis that um, contributed to the um, the infertility. I mean, uh, a, a, some women, you know, there's no um, there's no diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know, unexplained infertility. But with you, there were definitely reasons. Right. So with the PCOS, I could take medication to make me ovulate, and it would work. Um, and then my progesterone would rise like normal after, and I would, you know, go through a cycle just like normal. Um, but nothing ever stuck. So after two IUIs, um, we kind of were like, there's got to be something else going on in there. So mm-hmm. we eventually went to Melina Dial at STL Fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, then it was under a different name, but she took a whole bunch of blood tests on the first day of our consult. Um, we found out that I had natural killer cells, which that was easily treated with mm-hmm. um, an IV intralipid. Other than that, we had no other diagnosis from the twi- twin miscarriage. Um, we were diagnosed with something called DQ alpha, a partial mm-hmm. match, um, which is not something that is heavily relied upon as an answer or a diagnosis anymore. But at the time, um, we treated it, and then sure enough, Cora stuck in a cycle. Mm-hmm. So we believed in it. <laughs> we yeah. believed in getting that IV. Um, I had it every other week or every three weeks through 24 weeks gestation. So I was going in every two to three weeks for an IV and hoping that it would just tame those natural killer cells enough that she would stick long enough to be earthside and it worked. Wow. So that was the first half. (laughs) Yeah. For a second child, um, embryo quality definitely changed. Um, our first retrieval that we went through for the second child yielded a high number of frozen embryos. We had never had that before. Um, however, we ended up not carrying three of them. So one of them didn't stick, even though it was beautifully graded, which grading is a beauty contest. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a beauty pageant, whatever looks the best. You know, you can't really find out until you do chromosome tests on them. And even then when you do, it doesn't guarantee that your embryo will stick. Mm So um, we had one beautiful embryo not stick. The next embryo we transferred, um, it's carried at five weeks, four days. So just Mm -hmm. two days shy of the ultrasound. Um, Mm -hmm. Third embryo that we transferred ended at seven-ish weeks. So it wasn't growing as fast as it should have been. Um, we didn't have it tested, so we didn't know about the chromosomes. Um, mm-hmm. Ended up having a DNC. So the baby wasn't outgrowing its yolk sac. The yolk sac was getting bigger to support the baby more. Um, and in the DNC, we found out that that baby had trisomy 15. Mm. So it would not have lived past, I think it's 90 days in utero. Mm-hmm. And we were fortunate enough to make it seven weeks, so we would have lost that baby no matter what. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we still had three embryos left from that batch um, that we have decided not to touch. <laughs> we we had you know three out of six not turn out in our favor. Yeah. Um, 
un unfreezing is an option if we want to test them and then refreeze them again. Um, but that would make them weaker. And we already know we don't have quality. So yeah. we don't want to make an embryo weaker than it might already be. Yeah. So mm. we retrieved again. <laughs> we, wow. Yeah, we retrieved again. We decided to test everything. Um, out of the four that we sent off for testing, three of them came back normal, which was oh. awesome. Yeah. And that was really good numbers for us. Um, I'm just thinking that my body needed a cleaner outer of the egg. <laughs> they needed to regenerate <laughs> some new ones. That is okay. still not a medical diagnosis whatsoever. <laughs> but okay. I, I've, never heard, I've never heard of that. No, <laughs> I don't know. But after um, you just decided that's. Right. That's that's my answer for all of this. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, after basically four years of not trying, not ovulating, you know, the most or the most eggs that were in there just needed to be cleaned out a little bit, and then we regenerated some better ones, and <laughs> we'll we'll hope Good. that that was the answer. So. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, we have three that are untested left on ice. Um, or left frozen, and then out of those three normals that came back with a balanced chromosome, um, we have one left. Mm. So we had transferred two in the two, middle okay. of all of this. So um, when when the transfer happened, do you transfer them individually, or yes, do you transfer two to okay? Individually, especially if tested, um, just because once they're tested, they have like a 70% stick rate, like a little bit higher than an untested. Oh, okay. Um, that doesn't mean they're going to last into a live birth, but they have a lot better chance of sticking than an untested embryo does. Okay. Um, so we lost one of them to an ectopic pregnancy. And decided mm. to not implant in my uterus, but implant in my right tube. <laughs> and mm. that was a wild ride with betas. Um, I had blood draws to check my HCG levels every other day because they would rise and then not rise enough and then kind of stall out and then keep rising and double and triple. And then, wait a minute, we're going to back off on this number a little bit. So um, my pregnancy hormone in my blood was going a little crazy. Yeah. And uh, my doctor finally said, come in for an ultrasound. Let's just see where this thing decided to implant. Obviously, the betas aren't looking good if it doesn't continue to rise at, like, a steady pace or just right. take off from here. Yeah. Um, so the one that so we she, transferred. She knew something was that right. She knew something was up, yeah. Um, that one that we transferred was a boy. Mm. Ended up in my tube, and I ended up in the ER then that night after that ultrasound. So I was in a ton of pain. Um, an ectopic pregnancy, at least for me, was worse than vaginal childbirth. Mm, <laughs> and that, yeah. That's rough. And I swear, when we when I gave birth to our daughter, my epidural wore off. This was worse pain. This wow. was 100% worse pain. And, um, and that is really what I have heard, that they are very, very painful. It's intense, too. It's not slow it is not like a slow growing pain this is like labor mm -hmm. and you can tell that something is majorly wrong 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess no. it doesn't ease like labor. Like it's no, just no. constant. It doesn't come pain. and grow. It's yeah. not cramping. It's, yeah. it's not contractions. It is 100% pain because something is trying to outgrow the space that it's in. Yeah. And it Oof. never will grow big enough. <laughs> the tube will never stretch large enough to where it won't cause right. pain. Yeah. So, so I, in the ER... And surgery. ER, emergent surgery that night, one o'clock in the morning, got my tube removed. <laughs> mm. And uh, um, went on to uterine testing from there. We're like, well, we had a tested embryo. It's stuck, but not in the right spot. So, what is wrong with my body? If all of these embryos are good looking, they come back normal, what is still wrong with my body that we can't figure it out? So, um, uterine testing led us to a few different answers. Um, They tested for four different things. One was chronic endometritis, which is not endometriosis. It's just like an inflammation of your uterine lining. That came back negative. Um, The the cure for that would be antibiotics, so nothing super major. Um, The other one tested for um, the microbiome and your flora inside your uterus, which is a newer test. Um, oh, not many people I've, have heard of something like that. I have not. Right. But, I've um, seen one of those, yeah. The, the fix for that would be to take probiotics vaginally, I Ooh. believe. Um, right. Okay. That, that test came back normal as well. So we okay. were good on those two fronts. Um, we did something called an ERA, an endometrial receptivity analysis or array, whatever you want to translate mm-hmm. that acronym as. Um, that will tell you your exact amount of progesterone or exact hours of progesterone that you need. That came back with one answer. So we had been transferring, um, we transferred our daughter at five days of progesterone. So 24 times five. I can't do my math quick. <laughs> 120. 120, yeah, 125. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we transferred her at 120 hours of progesterone. Um, she's stuck. She's perfect. And then all of these others we transferred at five and a half days of progesterone. So 136 hours. Mm. Um, this test came back that I only needed 96 and my uterine lining was perfect and prime at 96 hours of progesterone. So while these other embryos had stuck, I guess it wasn't deep enough or hard enough or long enough, or it took them too much to fight to stick. We're not too sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just sitting here like shaking my head. <laughs> it's wild stuff that like, I never think of. Like how... How, yeah, like, and how somebody just gets figuring, naturally, yeah, well, and just know. figuring out those hours, like, right, and, uh, it's like, whoa, and like you just said, how do people, how do people get pregnant? You know, exactly. it, it has to be so precise, exactly. So, Whew, okay, <laughs> with this 96 hour thing, we need four days on the dot plus or minus three hours of progesterone. And once you once your body gets more than that, your lining is a little bit less receptive. Mm. So, 
you know, in the case of the ectopic, it could have been like, no, lining doesn't want you here. It's too late. And then it found my tube. We don't know. Mm. Um, but that solved one of our problems. I guess we could say that. <laughs> so Yeah, um, Some, somewhat of an answer, I guess. Yes, somewhat of an answer. I'm glad I did the test because it all didn't come back perfect. You know, we do have some answers. Mm-hmm. So the fourth test was called the Receptiva DX, and that tells you one of two things, and it's, weird. it's a flip-flap weird kind of a test. So hmm. the test itself tests the level of BCL6 protein in your lining. And if it comes back elevated, that can mean two things. It can either mean that you have endometriosis mm-hmm. or that you have hydrosalpinx which is fluid in your fallopian tube. And fluid in your tube mm. can mean basically a slow drip poison down to your uterus. Mm. It's going to try and, you know, ruin that environment in there anytime that you have fluid in your tube. So um, with that, I had a few courses of treatment. So with my ectopic removal, um, the OBGYN didn't find any signs of endometriosis, even though it was an emergent surgery. She just poked around a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't see anything. So I wasn't fully cleared, but there was nothing apparent that told me that I had endo. Um, Dr. Dayal had said path of least resistance is to do another HSG where they shoot the dye into your uterus and then it Mm -hmm. moves through your tubes and out your ovaries. Mm -hmm. Um, I hadn't had one done since way before Cora. I'm like, well, not a bad thing to get another one done. (laughs) Even though with IVF, you bypass the tubes. Except for I understand that it's very painful. Yes, I know. Okay. So for some reason, I don't have a lot of feeling down there. (laughs) Maybe it's because I've been through any and every test. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But no sensitivity. It was not a painful test. And I remember okay. the first time I went through it, and it was a little painful, but nothing unbearable. Okay. Um, okay. Well, and everybody I has it different. Depends yeah. on, it depends on your pain threshold. Yeah, yeah. And to me, I know it has to get done. So I guess yeah. I just close my mind and feelings off to it. Okay. I'm, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so I went through another HSG. Um Obviously, I didn't have a tube on the one side, so I think it was a little bit quicker getting the result, but um, the dye wasn't flowing out and spilling into my cavity around my ovary like it should. Um, So Dr. Dial pushed more and more fluid, more of that dye through, and it was just kind of puddling up and making, you know, a really funny look on an HSG that would indicate hydrosalpinx or in an enlarged tube of some sort. Mm. Um. So I decided to go through another lap surgery and have that second tube removed out of, or because of those results. Okay. So tubeless at 34, it's a good look, right? Mm. <laughs> Can't for kids on our own, we're doing IVF anyways. Yeah. I mean, the, the well, mind the, game the, that, that was weird. <laughs> oh, well, and that's true. You, you, um, never became pregnant naturally 
So you're right. It's like, you know, they weren't necessarily, yeah, needed. But, yeah, so talk about that. You know, how did that? So that topic started it. That started all the mind games. You know, with yeah. not that I'm a closed-off person, but if you've been through this or know, like, a close family member who has, I'm more willing to talk about it to someone than who hasn't, you know, who's a fertile friend, as I call it, <laughs> unless yeah. they ask questions and show interest. So going through the ectopic, um, one of my good friends from high school had one a few months before I did. Um, and she was the one that I relied on. She has not gone through any other fertility stuff. And I really hope she doesn't have to because um, I wouldn't wish this stuff on my worst enemy. But, like, she was my support for um, the ectopic pregnancy because from there it's like, well, now you're too blessed. You know, what What are your chances of getting pregnant naturally? For me, barely any. Um, But for her, like, she still has a lot of hope, which is great. Um, I, on the other hand, you know, I talked to her about what were your next steps after, what did you have to go through recovery-wise. So I relied on a lot of what she had to say to get through the procedures, I guess, a step-by-step of what to do. Um, But then after that, it's like I was pregnant. I had a baby growing. I know it was chromosomally normal. All of its chromosomes were balanced, mm-hmm. and it didn't go in the right spot. Like, why in the world did this happen to me? This isn't just infertility slapping in me in my face. I don't know what this was. Yeah. But it's just a total – I lived in a blur probably for a good month. Like, I don't mm. know why this happened to me. I don't understand. And I had this child growing, but if it were two inches further – it would have been fine, you know? Yeah. So in losing mm-hmm. that tube, I'm like, well, at this point we do IVF. Why didn't the doctor just take the other knowing that we did IVF? <laughs> like, mm. instead of only endured one surgery, one recovery. Um, <laughs> but yeah. then losing that second one, it was like, well, there goes our chance of any surprises ever. Like, you know, you hear mm. people going through IVF and then they get, a surprise kid or two or three later down the road. Um, yeah, or in their forties. Yeah, or in their forties. You know, oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the surprise, the the oops, or whatever. You right. Know. So yeah. there went our chance of a surprise, but uh-huh. you know, when we're ready to sell all of the baby equipment and clothes in the basement, we're done. We're not going to have that surprise, which is good. We won't have to buy all of this stuff back. (laughs) So I went, I was flip-flopping back and forth for those for a while. And um, I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not the Virgin Mary. There's no way that an egg can get to my uterus with closed off tubes. So it's just something that you have to deal with. And there's no, there's no like recovery for it. You just have to accept it over time, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, two of 34. <laughs> yeah. So, and this was pretty recent. Yeah, this happened um, September of last okay. year. Okay. So, six months ago, eight yeah. months ago. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. And since then, you've, you've had some, you've done some more retrievals. 
Yes. Since then, yes. Since then, we've okay. had a miscarriage. <laughs> we okay. did, or no, we haven't done retrievals. We did a transfer. Okay, a um, transfer. Had a miscarriage five weeks, four days again. For some reason, that is my unlucky magic number. Mm. Um, we have had two miscarriages at five weeks, four days. Um, so whenever I get to that point in pregnancy, my anxiety gets really high, and two of those times it slapped me in the face. <laughs> mm. um, during Cora's, I had spotting on that exact day, but then she turned out fine. Um, and then with I don't remember what was going on at that point. I think I went in for my first ultrasound on that day. And then we saw a tiny, tiny little circle in my uterus. We're like, maybe that's it, but we don't really know. It's too tiny. Either way, you know, got to stop meds. Um, and then with the trisomy 15, we made it past that with no spotting, no nothing. Um, but then obviously baby wasn't growing right. So, so yeah, back in November, um, had another miscarriage. And then we decided to... Treat me like I had endo, even though my OB had cleared me of endo in that last um, mm-hmm. tube removal and pelvic adhesion clearing and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took the Lupron Depot for two months. It's a one-month shot, one-month-long shot. Um, and then we moved right into an FET. And at baseline for this transfer my ovaries decided to make themselves present. And uh, instead of taming everything down, like the Lupron should have, it flared my ovaries to like Mm. retrieval size. Mm. They were huge. Um, And I say ovaries, I mean the follicles in my ovaries. So Mm -hmm. um, my doctor and I were flip-flopping back and forth if we should retrieve if we should transfer, you know, are they going to settle down? What's going to go on with them? If we do retrieve, are they mature enough or will it be a waste? Um, so we eventually settled on let's just transfer, let those ovaries calm down a little bit, and they'll be fine if we transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, but then my lining wasn't good enough. Mm. So I went to two lining checks, and it kind of deteriorated in between. So that was my first ever canceled cycle Mm. Um, so we canceled that transfer so then it's like well I had all those follicles ready to go I still have some stimulating meds in our fridge outside that I've had for almost a year and a half Mm. you know they're about to expire why don't we just retrieve if my ovaries showed up you know big and large and wanted to be retrieved why don't we just stim and see what happens Um, so we paid our down payment for the retrieval and uh, then my husband's family slowly passed positive COVID tests around Mm. and uh, (laughs) it eventually got into our house Mm. little by little we would get outside of that five day window and think we were fine and then somebody else would test positive (laughs) oh my gosh slowly made it to our house after three days of stims, and uh, we thankfully never tested positive. However, we had all of the symptoms that his family had, you know, just a week and two weeks before. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had every single thing that they had, 
we still every now and then have the lingering post-COVID cough. Mm -hmm. Um, Our doctors have all said that, um, not to be political, but since we've had the vaccine, um, it has been making people who've gotten the vaccine not test positive, Mm. even though you still have it. It's just a weird form of COVID in your system. Yeah. Um, So we're thinking that's what happened. So that 100% canceled cycle. Um, Our doctor is also not sure if COVID can affect the quality of your egg, which is a great possibility after only one study that has been out of like 10 patients, but it did have an effect on those people that were retrieving. So I'm like, we have quality issues anyways. Why would I, why would I go through that? I test everything to end up with nothing. So, so that was a wild ride. (laughs) And then, I guess after that, we went into another, or not retrieval, another transfer. Um, but same thing happened that happened in January with this transfer. This was supposed to be um, on April 7th. We were supposed to transfer last week. Mm-hmm. Um, the lining deteriorated again. It just wasn't good enough. And we don't know why. I've never had lining issues at all. And uh-huh. here, two cycles this year, and we're only in the month of April, have both been canceled because of lining. Wow. So I don't know what's going on down there, but something <laughs> that we haven't found is <laughs> more more for Dr. Dial to figure out. Yes, exactly. I guess you have been. Um, it sounds like I would guess somebody that she has really learned a lot. Um, yeah, with working with you, bringing over and thought about yeah. after hours. Yeah, <laughs> but she she is a doctor. You know, my um, daughter uh, went to her as well, and she is definitely a doctor. And we've I've had several people on the podcast that have gone to her. Um, just really, I feel like she is a doctor that thinks outside the box. You know, yeah. and it seems like with every. Um, every cycle like she's tweaking and changing and mm-hmm. and really trying to figure out what's what's going on yes exactly so that there will be success i hope <sighs> yeah our goal is to get people pregnant and yeah i can get pregnant it's just they're not sticking so yeah it's stick, yeah. not for forever <laughs> yeah so so now more testing or where are you at? Yes. So um, back in the September lap, um, my doctor had found a whole bunch of pelvic adhesions. Um, little did I know, the day after surgery, I would stand up and be 100% out of back pain. Like if nothing was cured during that surgery except for the slow, gradual building back pain that I've had over the past few years, like it was a success. So um, I have been in the past, like, you know, standing up slow and then getting straight up and then walking like normal. I go to a chiropractor. He can fix it temporarily, but nothing ever permanent. And I always kind of, you know, go back and get adjusted. Um, Come to find out pelvic adhesions cause major back pain. So I did not know that going into the surgery that I had pelvic adhesions, nor did I know that the back pain was associated with that. Um, Interesting. But after the surgery, zero back pain, which was insane. (laughs) 
So I was pain-free for a good two to three months after, so like at least up to Christmas time. Wow. Um, around Christmas, the pain started coming back. And then I'm like, okay, I've been putting up, you know, the Christmas tree, decorating, cooking on my feet way more than normal. Um, and then Christmas was over and the back pain kept coming back harder, more full force. Um, yeah. Currently experiencing more back pain than I was before that surgery back in September. Mm. Um, so I know pelvic adhesions can grow back. Um, and usually when you get them lasered out, they are more apt to coming back as well. Oh. Um, go ahead. Nick. I said, oh, oh no. Oh. Yeah. It's, I did not expect this to be in the story either. It could affect, <laughs> fertility. It could affect fertility, um, but only if they're endometriosis adhesions. So Ooh. these were just pelvic adhesions as far as my OB could tell. Um, okay. I know I need another lap to clear out whatever's going on in there because this back pain is not fun to deal with. Um, mm. Even my students at school have noticed that I'm walking funny, and I'm like, oh, it's just my back again, guys. <laughs> like, I just got to play it off. Um, so I went to a pelvic pain specialist today um, who specializes in adhesions and endometriosis. I brought her all of my history. Dr. Dial's office sent, you know, an abbreviated version of my 600-page file over to them. Mm. <laughs> um, and then I brought all of the pictures from our ectopic removal and my other tube removal. Um, and she's looking at all the pictures, and she's like, I can clearly see endometriosis in this. And I'm like, no, I was cleared of endo. <laughs> like, my OB didn't see any signs of it she's like uh looking at these few pictures here I'm pretty positive you have it and I'm like oh a new diagnosis added to the list thank you mm. so she's not 100% sure obviously she has not explored around um but I have a surgery scheduled for the end of May with her um as an endometriosis specialist to check out what's going on inside. Wow. Yeah. So I did not expect that one. Um, I knew from that one test at Dial's office that had come back that it was either endo or hydrosalpink. And we dealt with the hydrosalpink. That was 100% true, one of the causes. Yeah. I didn't realize it could be both. And I don't, I didn't expect this diagnosis today. Not that it's a true diagnosis yet. Yeah. But. I didn't expect to be told that I have endo by an endo specialist who's used to looking at pictures of endo every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we're at. So, Oh, wow. So another surgery. Another surgery. But hoping it will clear up the back pain again. And <laughs> I can yeah. back to normal at least for the summer, right? As well can dream. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. You can definitely dream. And um, I'm sure... There's been lots and lots of dreams, you know, of that of that second child. So how do you individually as as Roxy and how do you and your husband and family of Cora just continue to move forward? 
We dream and we hope. Okay. And it's all because of insurance. <laughs> yeah. To be honest. I mean, I I can't stress enough how awesome it is to have insurance that covers fertility issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even the specialist today when I was scheduling my surgery, her scheduler said, is there any other way we can build this outside of infertility? And I'm like, I've got coverage. But you can bill it how you want. But I, I am covered because I'm in Illinois. She's like, oh, you're an Illinois patient. Okay. So, like, people know how, you know, if you work for a public business in Illinois, you can have that chance and not have to go into so much debt with, you know, fertility treatment. Um, Which alleviates a huge amount of stress. Oh, 100%. We don't have... We don't have the financial stress. We don't have to plan cycles around, you know, when we'll save up money again. Mm -hmm. We just kind of keep rolling. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say I'm greedy in that I keep trying, but I know that this can work for us. We have our daughter. She's our proof that I can give life birth. We can have another kid. It's finding the right concoction of medication and treatment to get that next baby to stick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my husband is more or less along for the ride. He wants well, another kid too. <laughs> yeah. If, if I want to keep going through the shots, he will keep giving me the shots. I have yet in all of these years to give myself a shot. Really? <laughs> myself. Nope. I cannot. I can't go there. That's causing physical harm and I can't do it. Oh but yet gosh. I'm willing to undergo a surgery to make my back feel better. <laughs> it's a weird relationship I've got with these shots, but I can't do them myself. Well, and just with you saying that, uh, ooh, like even him giving you those shots. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't know. I'm just like, okay, this is like <laughs> uh, putting, uh, well, and I guess you just, it's just how you look at it. You know, I'm like, right. Okay, you're you're giving you're inserting a needle which gives pain mm-hmm. to your wife, and you've been doing that for year upon year. But he doesn't look at it. I'm sure like that. I'm, I'm no. causing pain. No, I am helping. I am helping. This is the only way we can make good. Yeah. Wow. Shot. Not the fun shot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he. I've I've been reading a lot into the Enneagram numbers. Are you familiar with those? No. Okay, so it's based on your personality from birth. Like, your number won't change. Um, So he is an Enneagram 9, which is the peacemaker. Okay. Um, He will do whatever needs to get done kind of a person. He will listen to all sides. He will make his own judgment in his mind, and he will help out. And I am very much an Enneagram 7, which is um, I'm looking forward to the next big thing. So hmm. I like to think that we both balance each other out and that he's willing to go along with it, and I'm wanting to push on, um, and he's okay with it. And I'm okay with it. Like we don't We don't have disagreements over infertility. I mean... I know what I'm getting myself into. He knows that he'll be giving me the shot. 
and that's about it. And we just kind of do it. We just coexist with it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was my next question. Like, how is it? Has it affected uh, your relationship? Has it changed your relationship? That I think um, we kind of gave kind of a little bit of an answer already to that. But right. But any other thoughts on that? We are a lot more vocal about if the meds are making me a little crazy, (laughs) (laughs) that I need to calm it down a little bit or like, you know, that's the meds talking kind of a thing. Uh Um, Before it was like him not even going there. Like, I'm not even going to tell you what you're asking is irrational. I'm just going to do it. That was his peacemaker. (laughs) But uh, now it's, I think the Lupron's talking again, like, just tone it down a little bit. I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I have to. (laughs) (laughs) So we are much more open and, you know, willing to listen to each other. And, like, I know I just pray for my family when I start that menopause medication. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, uh, yeah, we roll with the punches, I guess. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, we just work well together. That it's only made us stronger. It hasn't made us separate from you know either or or you know pull apart. It's we're going through this together, and I think that's the way you have to be if you want to make yeah. your relationship last. Yeah, it's not a you thing. It's not a me thing. It's an us together thing. Good, good. Yeah, and I was going to ask, how has it changed from year one to what did we determine? It's like year. And I think you've kind of explained that too. You know, you're you're more vocal now. Where before he was just like a, a peacemaker, yeah, like what, 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 I'm not like whatever. Anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll just let her do what she needs to do. Well, no, we've gone through it so many times. Tell me yeah. how I'm acting, and I'll put myself in check. And that's good. And I think that's really, really good for the listeners to hear. You know that that's right. where you've. Um, grown too and really I know if if the listeners would would hear that you know just be very vocal and and talk from the very beginning it probably would be beneficial for them to know know that it's going to be hard on you together and you as a person yeah and once you go once you go through infertility and IVF you cannot go back there is no changing back into your same person you're not going to be the same person coming out of it Mm-hmm. but you will be stronger and more knowledgeable. Yeah, the amount of knowledge that you oh. have. Um, I feel like I was thinking, write a book. <laughs> well, I was thinking that you could write a book or you could just go pass the test to be a doctor, you know. Oh, well, <laughs> I've flown in a plane, but I can't fly a plane. But <laughs> That's true. I don't know that I could ever go into wow. business. Uh, that's that's a rough job to get into, but yeah. I could at least, you know, hopefully tell somebody their next step, you know. Support. You can definitely right. support a lot of people, and that's part of the reason for the podcast and me to have you back on um, is because you have gone through um, and endured so many different diagnoses and phases of infertility that you do have a lot of knowledge and you can support um, and help a lot of people. And I know you're so willing, you know, to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which I think is is amazing um, because I think there are still those people that go through it that don't want to share all of all of that. You know, it's hard. It's hard. And everything that surrounds it. Yeah. It's just hard. And your friends are getting pregnant left and right. Mm. You're just kind of left in the dust, you know. It's tough. So who are you going to share that with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So who do you share with? Because probably the majority of your friends, but you did say you have one right now, correct? Um, I lean on different people. It all depends. Okay. So um, I have my one friend who did unfortunately go through the ectopic, who that's who I yeah. turn to for what to do next about an ectopic. Um, okay. I have another friend who I used to teach with and we're still friends today, um, who also went through IVF about a month before the, not a month, maybe like 10 months before. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um but she has kids via IVF, and she is the one I would always, you know, bounce off things to. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my former IVF nurses has also become one of my good friends. Um, I'm always texting her different things that are happening in our journey, and she's telling me what to do next. So <laughs> I've got a handful of people that I reach out to, a handful of people in the tribe. Um, and then I also feel like when I share my story on my Dear Coco Design Instagram um, and TikTok and Facebook, wherever else it shares to, um, that a bunch of people are asking me, well, what did intralipids do for you? Maybe I need to ask my doctor about that. Or what is the receptiva test you're talking about? Like maybe I need to get one of those. Or, um, you know, I just had my third miscarriage in a row and I don't know how you keep going what do Mm. you do that's so different and why can't I keep going kind of a thing sure um so I same time right I feel like at the same time when I'm relying on my friends back and forth other people are also taking on like that role and coming to me with questions Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like I'm in both positions I don't know Mm-hmm. Well, and there's got to be um, some comfort for sure. There's there's definitely comfort, especially for women, to help others. Yeah. You know, to a certain extent, you right. know. I wouldn't want my worst enemy to have to walk this path. Yeah. And you know, even if. Even if you feel like you're on this path alone, you're not. There's a hundred other people in your shoes in your area that you probably know that are doing the same thing. Yeah. And that's what people don't realize is infertility affects one in eight. Mm-hmm. Or I guess PCOS, one in eight, one in four. I don't remember the numbers. <laughs> yeah. But like chances are out of your, you know, whole friend group on Facebook and Instagram, all your social media is there's a good number of infertiles in there and you might not know it. Yeah. Yeah. So just let sure. people know that they're not alone is number one, because I have never felt alone in this journey whatsoever with the people that I've leaned on. That's and good. I know people who have felt alone mm-hmm. before they decided to open up about it. And that's the worst position to be in. Yeah. 
I love that you said that. Because that is what I hear the majority of the time is, you know, they know they're not alone, but they feel very alone. Exactly. Um, exactly. And and I'm glad that you shared that, you know, that it's really finding that support so that you don't feel alone is kind of what I heard from you. Right. So, yeah. So I have one other question. <laughs> I always have questions. Um, how, how's Cora doing with all this? Um, she knows the ups and downs and it's sad Mm -hmm. that at her age she has to know them Mm -hmm. but she also knows how special she is and how hard we work to get get her here Um, so she has been with us through you know the multiple positives but then the multiple miscarriages she would know the day we found out you know, if it was positive or negative, she would also know the day of transfer. She's very protective mm. after transfer of my belly. Um, she's also shared with friends and teachers at school if I'm pregnant or not, even though it's been really okay. early. Um, so <laughs> she's also had to share then that I'm not pregnant, which I know is in a really weird situation for a kid. But yeah, um, she is handling it, I, I, I don't have anybody to compare her to, but she's handling it awesomely. Um, yeah. She also loves help playing nurse, and she will do the alcohol for all of the shots. Oh, wow. If we don't sneak and get it done first. <laughs> Sometimes she takes a little <laughs> long, but that's all right. Uh, so she likes to be in the process, and we're not keeping it from her. It's part of okay. her story. It'll be part of this next baby's story. My whole business is built around her story. I mean, right. we're not keeping it from anyone. Yeah. I'm not hiding yeah. that because she was so she was so wanted and it took so long to get her here. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad she realizes that. Yeah, that is good. I was I was the reason I asked that question is to find out really if I knew she was um involved and that you shared a lot with her. Um, but I didn't know if there was um, thinking back and as far as you've gone with it, if there was any doubt or regret that you kept her, you're keeping her or have kept her so involved in it. But it sounds like you do not, that no, you think, no. yeah, that it's wonderful that she she knows. And, it, and, and as you started, you know, she is at a very young age and it is, you know, not something that a that every child you know has that story or or those experiences. Right. So it's very unique. And she's also like she'll sit and watch me paint at night, and then you know pull out her paints and start painting an embryo. Oh, so I taught her. There's your other. There's your other artist. There she I is. know, right? I'll <laughs> hire her in the future. Um, but, like, I've showed her other people's embryos, and I've taught her about them, which is, it sounds kind of weird, but, like, um, there's something called the inner cell mass inside of an embryo that's, like, the big, clumpier-looking part. And I say, that's where the baby's going to start growing from. So um, she'll make embryos with two or three of them and call them twins or triplet embryos. Mm. <laughs> like, she's learned a lot of terminology, too, which I'll admit is kind of weird for a six-year-old. Yeah. But, you know, if that's how she thinks babies are made, well, we'll leave it at that for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So 
So I'll have to come over uh, sometime because we're both in the St. Louis area. And, um, and I would love to watch that whole process um, of how you do all that. It's yes, just it's beautiful. The end result is very beautiful. I know that. Yes. And every embryo is unique. I have not, I've only had one of the same embryo ordered from intended parents and the surrogate to gift to each other, and neither of them knew about it. Oh, my god. they both contacted and purchased separately. Other than that, though, I have painted over a thousand different embryos. Literally wow. over a thousand. <laughs> and never had wow. a duplicate. Wow. And so, I know I you're think. now in every state, correct? Yes. In several in countries. State. I am in 13 different countries. I'm keeping mm. a list on my iPhone Amazing. notes. <laughs> Amazing. I knew you were for a while. I think the last time we talked or I saw on, on your Facebook, like there was, who was the last date? I remember seeing, okay, Montana. come on, come on. Montana was the hardest on. one to get <laughs> out of all of the states. I mean, they have <sighs> infertility clinics. I Googled it. I'm like, is wow. IVF, like, is IVF illegal in this state? What's the deal? <laughs> um, but well, it's hard. The hardest state. And you can, it's, you, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a correlation there, like Montana and you, like mm-hmm. hard to have a baby, like hard to get <laughs> those right. embryos. Right. The baby so, uh, might need a middle name of Montana or something, you know. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, oh, but, yeah, wow. it took two years of business to get all 50, and that Montana one stuck around for a few months being the only open state. Wow. <laughs> but I've finally gotten it, which is good. Yeah, that is good. So I so much appreciate you sharing all this, but I want to give you just a minute. Um, we've we've talked about um, some advice and some you know kind of things with with throughout this um, sharing your story. Um, but other words of advice or encouragement, you have. So much knowledge you've been through. So much. What would you share with those beginning or those that are are you know five years in or just words of encouragement and advice for for all of them? Mm-hmm. Um, the main two things I've already touched on one of them. You have to find somebody to talk to, mm. not just your significant other. They are not going to understand the mental game, or you may not want to fully open up at the beginning about everything. You know, you have to find somebody who has walked your path. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's a friend, whether it is an acquaintance online. Um, I often say that the strangers that I share to on Instagram know a lot more about me than mm-hmm. one of my good friends. <laughs> Because they have all walked similar paths. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, partners are great to share with, but get somebody outside of the house to talk to, whether that is yeah. online, whether that is in person, over the phone, counselor, therapist, find someone to talk to. Um, you can't do it alone. There's no way, you know, infertility is sink or swim, and you are going to sink fast if you don't let out what you are feeling. You cannot keep it all balled up. Mm. Second thing is not only talk to someone, but 
find something that makes you happy. And in doing all of this and going through all of IVF, I found that painting really makes me happy. Mm. Um, painting for other people, you know, other mm. people who have had success, who have had miscarriages, who have had, you know, earthside babes, all kinds of stuff. Like I love hearing everybody else's story because it makes me feel less alone. So mm. all of that then in turn goes back to find somebody to talk to. Um, and it's just, you know, when you share your story, other people are going to start opening up. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way to swim. Yeah. Well, just the hope that comes with that is right. tremendous. You know, sharing your story and, and them sharing theirs and just so much hope comes from that and I'm sure with all of the the paintings and things, hearing those stories have probably given you a tremendous amount of hope along with the joy and happiness yeah. that you feel in doing that. Yes. And so, you can't you can't compare your journey to anybody else. No. Everybody's is one hundred percent different. No two pe- I mean Two people may share similar stories, but guaranteed they're not in the same location and don't know each other. <laughs> yeah, they're so. Yeah, it's just knowing you're not alone. Other people have walked your path, but you know, finding someone mm-hmm. to talk to mm-hmm. is the best thing about all of this. Well, and I'll just share this that uh, as a grief coach, um, and I actually was just speaking to someone this morning, um, is you know, your family can definitely support you, but they are going to be also guarded with what they mm-hmm. say because they don't want to hurt you in any way. Right. So you can't totally, they can't totally open up to you and you mm-hmm. can't totally open up to you because the possibility of the communication words not being received as, as the intent was and so to find that person outside, um, and for me, like with grief, I am somebody outside the situation where it's easier for people to share with me mm-hmm. where they're at with grief and their grief journey as opposed to sharing with a spouse or, or a sister or whoever. That's, that's finding that person, mm-hmm. like you indicated, is is so important. Right. And the same with, you know, on the grief journey as well. Right. Yeah. And people who people who haven't experienced, you know, the trauma of infertility or, you know, don't know anyone who have experienced it, they may not know what to say either. Mm. And that's yeah. worse yeah. than, you know, not saying anything. Saying something yeah. wrong, I feel is worse than not being able to come up with the right words Mm. because then that brings up more feelings. Yeah. But that's for a whole nother podcast. What not to say to an infertile. (laughs) (laughs) That one could go on for a while. (laughs) Yeah. We, I did one, it's been a long time ago. So yeah, that you're right. We, I might need to grab a couple different people and do kind of a, a panel of mm-hmm. what what not to say. Of course, yes. I think it will be very beneficial. It we we definitely need to put it out there to people so that they right, right. get it. They totally get it how it's received what they've said. 
<laughs> I had I had someone ask the other day on my Instagram, um, and I don't know her in person, but you know we've worked together before. I've seen it her embryo. Um, she said, "What can we do for you at this time?" And it's mm-hmm. like I've never been asked that, but if that's not the best question I've ever heard. Yeah, like that's freaking amazing. Like everybody, you know, usually if you have a canceled cycle, it's oh, I'm sorry, or what are your next steps, blah blah blah. But this was, what can we do for you? Yeah, and like shocked. I don't know how to answer this, <laughs> but that's the best question I've ever been asked. So if mm-hmm. you don't know what to say, just ask, what can we do for you? Yeah, and that's it. I have another friend who, um, for all of our past miscarriages. Can I send you dinner? Can I watch Cora for a little while? Like, do you just need some new time? What do you need? Yeah. And she's not infertile whatsoever. But I, like, cry anytime I get this. I'm about to cry right now because yeah. it's just the best thing. Yeah. That you can oh, have. The yeah. best kind of a person that you can have in your life. Absolutely. Awesome that you have her. And that is, like, a lot of times when there's a loss or whatever, I will say, you know, mm-hmm. um, of course, I'm praying, you know, for peace and comfort, you know, but what what, what else can I do right. for you besides the prayer, you yeah. know, because I'm doing that already, like what else? Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, that's good. I love that. I love that. Well, I appreciate you so much so much good information to share you are welcome um so i'll let you get on with your day and thank you again thank you as this episode is being released it is national infertility week and i'm I'm pretty confident that if you are on that journey of infertility, that you have learned some new information from listening to Roxy's story. I know I have. The test, the treatments, surgeries that she has gone through um, has just been, I don't know, amazing that a woman can and a family could endure all that she's endured and are still continuing on the journey to have um, another child I just applaud her for, for what she's going through the hope that she still has and as she continues on her journey I'm sending my love and prayers to her for her upcoming surgery and for the next transfer to be successful for her to become pregnant and hold the pregnancy for them to have that second child they so dearly want and are hoping for and for you, the listeners, I would love for you to share this episode for, with anyone that you know that is struggling with infertility so that they can hear Roxy's story. will give them hope and also give them 
just more information that could possibly help them on their journey. And then after that, after sharing it, I ask again that if you have not subscribed to the podcast, that you click the button and subscribe. If you feel so inclined and have the opportunity to rate and review um, this podcast, it those two things are the most important things to get this podcast out further to people, to women, men, couples that are struggling to give them hope and give them just support um, on their journey. We want to help as many as we can. That is the sole purpose for this podcast is to share stories, connect people to help them on their journey. Again, connect with me on social media, schedule a time um, to talk to me. I would love to hear your story. I would love to hear your, um, if you've gained value from listening to the podcast, any upcoming episodes you would love for me to share um, information. I would love to do that. And as a grief coach, if you are struggling with grief in any way, I am here for you. Reach out. Let's schedule a time. Let's talk. I can and will help you navigate through the triggers that you were going through. And I am that person that you can totally open up to to help the healing process. I look forward to being with you again next week for another episode of Labor Pains. Until then, share your stories because I know it will give you hope and it will give others hope to continue on their journey. And until then, peace and blessing to you.